Welcome back to Diferente. I'm your host, Maribel Quesada-Smith. This is the third episode in our Diferente Conversations on Entrepreneurship. If you're like me, you're probably investing in your retirement. But if you're like most people, and that includes me, unfortunately, you're probably paying somebody else to manage your investments. And maybe you do that because somebody told you that you don't know what it takes or you don't have what it takes to make these decisions on your own. But you totally can. You just have to learn the basics first. Much like my guest in this episode, had to do before she went off on her own. Because as Warren Buffett says, risk comes from not knowing what you're doing. In this episode, I chat with New York Times bestselling author, lawyer and investor, Danielle Town about the role of money in our romantic relationships, as well as the bad financial habits we pick up as kids and how we have the power to change the way we look at wealth. Danielle started out her adventures as an investor desperately afraid of numbers and stock markets until she realized she had been abdicating the power of her money and discovered how to transform her fear into financial freedom, which is why now she guides countless people to overcome their reluctance to invest and put their money where their values are through her newsletter, courses, podcast, and best-selling book, Invested. To learn more about Danielle, you can visit our podcast website at diferentepodcast.com. Bienvenidos. Welcome to Diferente. My name is Maribel Quesada-Smith. I'm an expert at questioning everything who wants to bring more color into your life. I'll be coming at you every week with a little humor and a mountain of passion to share with you stories and ideas related to life, culture, creativity, and business that will inspire all of us to explore different perspectives. Don't be surprised if you find yourself motivated to shake things up. That's known to be a side effect of the Diferente life, and it's contagious. Now let's get to it. Danielle, welcome to Diferente. How are you doing today? All the way from Switzerland, right? Absolutely. I'm sitting here in my house in Zurich, Switzerland, and it's so wonderful to talk to you. I am so glad to have you on Diferente. I've been really looking forward to this interview because I've been following you for a while, And I've learned quite a bit on the investment side from you. So oh, that makes me happy. Thank you. <laughs> Although I have to confess, I haven't necessarily started applying the things that I've learned yet. But <laughs> so we need to work away. on that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the next step. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about who you are first before we get into all the good stuff. I want to know more about you. So where did you grow up? Tell us a little bit about that. Ah, well... This could be a long answer, but I'll give you the Cliff's Notes answer. Um, okay. I grew up first in San Diego, California, where I was born. And then my parents were old-timey hippies from the 60s. And they were into transcendental meditation and still are, which is actually kind of gotten cool again. But it used to be like okay. the Beatles and Mia Farrow were into it and all these sort of 60s people and then it kind of fell out of favor and now it's like Jerry Seinfeld and Russell Brand and Katy Perry and I'm gonna have to Ellen and yeah transcendental meditation <laughs> it's cool again um, so my parents were into it very early and uh, the transcendental meditation organization actually bought 
a university campus. This university had gone bankrupt in the middle of Iowa. And they bought the campus and kind of told everybody who were into TM, uh, move to Iowa and raise your kids there. And we're going to create like a beautiful meditation community. And so my dad is an investor and he had just... I'm going to get this wrong. I think he had just sold a company or sold stock in a company, something like that. He had just he had just made a bunch of money and he didn't have to work for a while. And he said, OK, we're going to move from San Diego to freezing cold Iowa when I was four <laughs> years old. And my poor mother, who is such a California girl, was just horrified but she agreed. And so they moved us to Iowa when I was four. And I ended up growing up in the heartland, middle of Iowa, um, until I was about 15. And then my parents moved to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And both they had, they had gotten divorced by then, but they moved together to Jackson Hole, Wyoming and got houses on the same street. And, um, and then we were there for a lot of years until until recently. And now we're all scattered all over the place. So I want to kind of talk a little bit about what happened after that time, or maybe it was during that time, because I've listened to your story before. And I know that there was kind of a traumatic situation that went down with you and your dad. And I think it relates to what you talk about, because every time I listen to your story, you often talk about how our feelings about money and the present interfere with having a more prosperous future. Yeah. And I think, I'm assuming it has to do with your personal story as you were growing up and had this situation happen with your dad. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it does so much. You're exactly right. And by the way, I mean, I have my story. You have your story. We all have our own stories around money and how we were spoken to, how we were taught about money as kids. And it doesn't matter if we were rich or poor or in the middle we all have some kind of education around money that we got almost without even realizing it when we were kids. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was, first of all, my parents had plenty of money. We lived in a nice house. We moved to Iowa. My parents built a beautiful house and they got divorced when I was about 11. And my, uh, literally, they never fought never had an issue. And then one day, I mean, this is from my kid perspective, right? I'm sure they definitely had issues. (laughs) But uh, one day, my dad said, I'm leaving. And he left and he didn't come back. And when he left, he essentially took the money with him. So we ended up having to sell our house. My mom had always been a stay-at-home mom. She used to be a teacher before she had kids. So she went back to teaching and we moved with her, my sister and I moved with her into literally a trailer. And it was a nice trailer. (laughs) She made it very nice. My mom's such a good homemaker and she held it together for us. And, um, And it was a huge, just shocking change in our lives. He just left with all the money. I mean, how does that? I mean, it makes him sound really bad. He didn't and and I always want to defend him because we're very we're very good together. Like our relationship is very good now. Um, he didn't realize what he was doing. I think there was so much going on at the time. You know, now I can see it from an adult perspective. So he didn't know that he was doing that to us. And when he realized, he came back 
and made sure that we were fine. And my parents actually, they went through this incredibly acrimonious divorce for, I don't even know, maybe a year. And I'll get that wrong because, again, it's like a kid's memory, yeah. but a while. And and then at some point, they just got together finally and said, let's not have these lawyers anymore. And they ditched the lawyers and they got a mediator and they just settled it in a room with a mediator in like one day. So from then on, things were good. Mm-hmm. But but at that time, it was really tough. And so, you know, I was 11 or 12 when that happened. And so for my whole life, up until a few years ago, I remember it as this super difficult emotional divorce experience. I never for a second even thought about the financial aspect of it. I never for a second even really remembered the part about how we moved from our house into a trailer. I mean, I knew that that happened, but it was so emotionally hard that I didn't think about how that would affect any of my financial decisions in my life Uh until I started engaging with my money really for the first time ever by starting to learn about investing. Up until then, and I was what, like 34, I think, 34, 35 when I started this investing thing. And that was just a few years ago. I had never really thought about what I did with money. I made money. I spent the money. That was pretty much it. I didn't plan for the future. I didn't really think about all the things people tell you to have like a savings fund, an emergency (laughs) fund. I didn't do any of that stuff. And I realized, you know, looking back, because it's very hard to tell these things when you're in it. But looking Mm -hmm. back, it was because it was so painful for me to even engage with thinking about money. I mean, crazy, right? Yeah, (laughs) no, it is. But it's real. Because we all, like you said before, we all have our own struggles with money. And the part of the reason is comes from our childhood and the experiences that we had growing up. I think it does more than we even realize it. There's so many of us, especially women, by the way, because Mm -hmm. for us, money is often super wrapped up in relationships as kids (laughs) and as adults, for sure. And so it's easier to just step back and not engage. It's easier Mm -hmm. to step back and give it over to somebody else. So that's what we tend to do. Yeah, the the good news is that I grew up in a family where it was similar. My my mom was a stay-at-home mom for quite a while and my dad was out working, but she managed the money. Oh, that's interesting. So, yeah, so she managed the accounts and my dad was always great, very trusting, and so she just she managed it and she had that advantage, I think. Or, or at least I think it was an advantage, an advantage for us to see that a woman could handle the money and manage the money. Yeah. But the one thing that I can tell you that I've grown up with is a little bit of that chip on your shoulder of thinking that the man has to be the one out there making the money. And if mm. you make more money than the man, there might be something wrong with that in your relationship. So I kind of grew up with that idea and I had to abandon that <laughs> several yeah. years ago because it, it was basically one of those points in my life where I was like, why? Why does it have to be the man who makes more money or why does it have to be the man who sustains the, has- the household? 
Yeah. And, and the answer is, it's just because that's what you saw when you were a kid. Yes and no, because at some point, my it, things flipped and my mom became kind of like the head of household and she became a, a good entrepreneur and, hmm. you know, really grew things for us financially, but still retained a little bit of that feeling in the household. I think she always kind of held on to that where she was like, why do I have to do this? Hmm. Like, why, you know, why do I have to be the one? And she's told me this. But yes, it does come to that point where you have to kind of question what society has taught you or what you have learned in your family. Have you found that being conscious of that is what changed it for you? Or did you have to take further steps after you became conscious of it? Oh my gosh, that's a really good question. I I think it's just been about being conscious of that. So I I'm still I'm still going through it. I'm not going to tell you that it's always no, easy. No, things don't just disappear. Yeah. This is this is in us. Right. But I think that having the conversation with my mom when I was like a few years ago, right before I got married actually, and she had this conversation with me where it was like, "Do you understand that, you know, in marriage, you know, you're partners, but if you have this idea that you want a certain kind of lifestyle and you're expecting the guy to give that to you, you might be disappointed. Like she was Mm -hmm. already kind of predisposing me to that thought. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what? I don't care if he can't give me the lifestyle, I will figure out a way to get us the lifestyle. I will figure out a way to make it happen for both of us. And I'm not going to be mad if he can't get there by himself. Like this is a a partnership. So I think that at that point, I made a decision like I can't just leave it up to one person. If if you want something bad enough, you have to go out and get it yourself too, and then become partners in it. And I think the the biggest issue in my family life when I was growing up was that my mom was just raised with the mentality that he, the guy, had to be the one, had to be the main bread mm. maker. And so mm. there was always a little bit of that in me. Yeah, it's there. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> it makes complete sense. My grandmother... Uh, what's coming to my mind is my grandmother because she had the exact same kind of relationship with my grandfather. And she she was an incredible woman who put herself through college, first person in her family to go to college and worked as a maid to pay the tuition and became a teacher, moved to California knowing nobody mm. and became a teacher in California and met my grandfather there. Um, when she thought she would be an old maid at that point, because I think she was about 35 and most women at that oh, point wow. weren't, yeah, weren't able then. to get married. Yeah. <laughs> and so they ended up getting married and had two kids. And she at, at some point went back to work and she actually told me, I mean, she like conveyed this to her granddaughter, you know, 50 years later. She said, I had to make sure I made less money than your grandfather. Oh, he he would let me go to work as long as I made less money and as long as I made sure there was dinner on the table every night and took care of the house still. So you still had to come home and do all of that. Yeah. And, and I saw my mom doing that, too. You're right. I it's saw my crazy. mom doing that, too. Now it's totally different. <laughs> she finally put her foot down and things have changed. But if anything, I think money wise, you do learn that you have the power to make the decisions to shift gears in your life. So no matter what happens in your childhood, you you can decide if you're going to continue down that pattern or if you're going to make other choices that are better for you. Yes. And I think the consciousness, the consciousness of it is what matters because 
just like you, for me, just even becoming aware of it changed everything for me. I just really wasn't aware. And once I realized it, that I that I had this predisposition about money being filled with emotions that were negative and that I just didn't even want to touch it. Once I became aware of that, then I could deal with it. And yeah. I did. And it really wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. So yeah, so for me, become like noticing that money and relationships are so intertwined and that it had been holding me back from taking something that I've discovered now is so powerful in my life. Money for us is so powerful. And a lot of the time we don't use that power at all. And once I figured that out, it just, first of all, it made me mad. And then secondly, I just decided I have to do something about this. I have to use my power. And that shifted everything. Yeah. And and sometimes we even grow up thinking that money is evil and that makes things even even harder for us or people don't even discuss it, period. Which, again, in my family, we really didn't discuss how much money people make or how Mm -hmm. much money. That's very common. Yeah. It's like and it's still very common, I think, outside in friend circles and different you know, scenarios that I've been in, I've noticed that people cringe whenever you bring up like how much money you make or how much money they make. And I think that's a shame because I really feel like it's liberating to have those conversations so that you can be better educated about how to use your money or where you can build more wealth and those kinds of things. Yeah. And now there's this whole element of actually the Me Too movement to uh, share knowledge about salaries and and yeah. what you're getting paid for stuff to make sure that we're not being subjugated we being women not being subjugated by somebody who's trying to push you down and mm-hmm. i think that that is so important i mean it's it's a it's a bit of a balance right like there's some stuff we want to keep private and that's okay but then if you can help out a sister and say, you know, hey, I am making X amount for this project. If they're doing kind of something similar, that can lift everybody up. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't know that it's illegal for an employer to tell you that you can't share your salary um, with people. And when an employer tells you that you shouldn't, they're actually breaking the law. Absolutely. So I think that's important for people to know that. Wait, hold up. Before we go any further, I have something very important to ask you. Will you share this podcast with your friends? It's very easy to share the love by either texting a direct link to this episode or posting a screenshot and link to the show on your preferred social media platform. Make sure you tell them why you want them to listen. Thanks for your support. Now back to the show. All right, so let's turn the corner a little bit here and move forward to when you first started your career. Because you did not start in investment. You actually started as a corporate lawyer. Is that correct? Yeah, I am in <laughs> no way <laughs> trained to be an investor, <laughs> so which is kind that. of my favorite part of this whole thing. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I studied religion in college and in grad school, and I absolutely loved it, probably because of my upbringing in this meditation community. So that's that's what got me interested in the law. I just loved reading the cases. I loved that it was I had been in the academic world and it the the legal cases were so much more uh they affected people's lives and 
and made a difference. And I wanted to be in something that made a difference. So I worked for a judge for a while and then I went to law school and made a complete turn and started realizing that I loved working with entrepreneurs and and wanted to be in the startup world. I wanted to work with people again who were making a difference just in a different way by trying to change the world with whatever app or software or invention they had come up with. And so that's what I ended up doing. I got my dream job in Boulder, Colorado and started working at a law firm there where I worked with startups and venture capitalists and helped them grow and 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 change the world and eventually sell their businesses. Okay, so that was the beginning of your career, but what happened to make you completely leave that? The turn was I was working, I moved to Colorado to basically have a slightly different life. I moved there from New York and it turns out, and I, I knew that I was getting into this because I worked for a big law firm, but I got big law firm hours in Colorado and I just got exhausted. I got burnt out. I'd been doing it for a few years. I loved the people I worked with and I loved what I did, but I just was doing it from 5 a.m. to midnight and every day and working Christmas and New Year's. And I just I just got completely burnt out. And I had canceled so many, and lawyers out there will relate to this, I had canceled so many family events that my family started saying to me, you can't keep this up. And around that time, I started randomly getting fevers out of the blue. My hair started falling out in clumps. I started throwing up randomly, which everybody, of course, thought I was pregnant, but I was not. (laughs) And... I just got really sick, basically, with all these weird symptoms. And my doctor said to me, I went to a gastroenterologist and she said, you're super stressed. And Mm. I said, no, I don't feel stressed at all. And I (laughs) didn't. I really didn't. That's the first sign of stress. (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) I just felt normal. I I had felt like that for so long that I forgot what it felt like to feel good. And so that combined, the sickness combined with my family just saying to me, you know, you can't keep doing this, made me start thinking, okay, what else can I do? Because I love my job, but I was starting to see that I wasn't going to be able to keep this up for another 10, 15, 20 years. And I looked at the partners in my practice and their lives weren't any different than mine. You know, it wasn't like working my way up the ladder was going to make a real difference. So my dad, of course, and the investor, he's a hedge fund manager and has been investing for most of his life. He said to me, okay, you have to learn how to invest. And I said, no, I don't have time. I don't have any interest and I don't want to do this at all. And that was pretty much the end of that conversation. And then a couple of months later, you know, I kept feeling terrible. And a couple of months later, he said to me, you got to learn how to invest. What else are you going to do? And so I immediately thought of everything else I could possibly do besides learning how to invest. And I thought of, well, I could start my own business and I could buy real estate and I could shift into a completely different career. And they all sounded really hard. And (laughs) the thing is, if you can learn how to do public company stock investing, Warren Buffett style, which is what my dad does, you can do it from your couch, 
Like my dad said to me, well, you could buy some real estate, but then you'd have to fix toilets and be a like landlord. And I was like, I'm not going to learn how to fix toilets. Like, let's be (laughs) realistic about who I am here. And he, and then of course the next thing was, well, you can just sit on your couch and learn about what Buffett does. And that sounded pretty good at that point. So I said, okay, fine. And we ended up starting our podcast then because I suggested to him that if we actually had a podcast that people were listening to, it would force me to continue with this education. So that's what we did. We started our podcast and it came out and it was just a big success right away, like top five on the iTunes business chart. And people seemed to really like this thing of me learning from my dad, which was a huge shock to both of us. (laughs) And so your dad is fairly well known in the financial industry, correct? He's well known, but I mean, I certainly wasn't. And I basically treated it as my own personal opportunity to just bug him about every question I could possibly come up with. You didn't go to school or you didn't have to take any extra courses to change careers then. You basically just learned from your dad. I have just learned from my dad. Yeah. Wow. I don't think you need to go to school to learn this stuff. This long-term Buffett-style investing, number one, has so many books out there that teach you exactly what to do. You don't need to go to school to learn that stuff. Um, There's an an entire education at the library. Hmm. Secondly, I was able to learn from my dad and it's all recorded. So you essentially became an entrepreneur by learning Warren Buffett style value investing from your dad. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure I would say I'm an entrepreneur, but I'm an investor now full time. I mean, that kind of makes you an entrepreneur, right? I guess it does. (laughs) I guess it does. I haven't fully identified with that Or do you work for somebody else? I don't work for anybody else, which I guess makes me an entrepreneur. I would consider you an entrepreneur for sure. (laughs) I appreciate that. Yeah, it's been a funny sort of transition for me because I definitely, first of all, had a very hard time thinking of myself as an investor. That was a real shift to go from absolutely not wanting to do anything with the stock market or investing at all to then getting interested in learning about it, but being completely incompetent (laughs) to then having some sense of what I was doing, but still knowing that I knew just enough to be dangerous to now I feel like I'm pretty competent, but there's still a lot of stuff I don't know. And so now you make a living just by investing? I'm investing. I'm doing the podcast. I'm doing all... I guess I'm I'm an entrepreneur. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'd say that's pretty awesome. I get to write about investing, which I absolutely love. Yeah. So things... I'm healthy again. I stopped taking my stomach medication. My hair is very thick. It looks beautiful. (laughs) Congratulations. Things are much better. (laughs) So then how did you end up in Switzerland? Ah, well, I ended up in Switzerland and the story is in the book um, (laughs) because I went on vacation to Switzerland when I really needed a break in between jobs. uh, And that was also in 2015. And I, at some point, I think, yeah, it was the last night that I was in Zurich. She invited a friend over and we met and he and I just hit it off. And I'm not going to say it was like love at first sight, but it was something at first sight. And I just remember sitting on her couch and looking over at this guy and thinking, God, this is like, I just want to keep talking to him. This is maybe the most interesting person I've ever met. It was really weird. (laughs) 
And so that's the guy that I ended up marrying. I ended up quitting my job. We got married. I moved to Switzerland and I wrote our book, Invested, because so many people kept asking me about questions that about investing, about my process of learning investing that just weren't quite right to talk about on the podcast, you know, like especially numbers stuff and mm-hmm. details about where to find things and research. And, you know, it's just not that interesting to listen to. And it's a little bit hard to absorb when you're driving your car and you're trying to figure out what somebody's talking about. Uh-huh. So I thought, you know, this is perfect for a book. I'll just put it down in a book. I'll, re- I'll get all the details and then everybody will have a manual of exactly what I went through to learn this investing thing. So that's what I've been working on. It's a guide, exactly. right? So exactly. you can keep referring to it as you need to. And um, I do, by the way, every now and then. <laughs> it's even go, a guide for you. I that's go, great. <laughs> I know that I learned this thing and then I remember, oh, it, I, I wrote a book about that. And then I pick it up off my shelf and I'm like, this book is fantastic. Yeah. It's Jeez. almost like a recipe book when you just keep it's, going back to it. I'm telling you, I just I just do it for myself and I'm glad <laughs> it helps other people too. Tune in next week to listen to part two of this episode with Danielle Town. Or if you're listening in the future, you can always just look for episode 134, part two. Don't forget that you can find the show notes to this and every episode of Diferente on our website at diferentepodcast.com. Thank you for listening to Diferente. If you like this episode, let me know by leaving a five-star review and by sharing a screenshot of this podcast on Instagram or Facebook. Just don't forget to tag me at Adiferente Life so I can know you're listening. Hasta pronto!